Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week, Hallie tells us about some of America's cemeteries, and we discuss some post-life solutions. As always, expect foul language, and well, I think it's obvious, but we're going to be talking about death. This includes several different ways our moral shells can be handled when we depart them. Nothing really nitty-gritty, but if funerals and death kind of wig you out, you might want to set this one out. We also will be talking about the history of African-American burials, which will include discussions of slavery. We talk about how the enslaved found ways to honor their dead and kept their resting places a secret, and efforts to understand more about these practices and give these spaces the respect and protection that they deserve. Let's get ready for another human exception. You, 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 you're upset. What'd she want? Food. Ah. Oh. <laughs> she gets fat. She doesn't. It's not. Y'all. I don't starve my cats, okay? She just. She's just all It's very cranky. funny. When she, when she comes to me like that, it's either food. She wants to drink water out of the faucet because she won't drink it from anywhere else now. Or <laughs> she just wants me to follow her around the house. That's the new one. Oh. oh. That's the new. Yeah, we just do we do a lap and I was like that's fine. I need to move anyways. So we'll just <laughs> lap. And then most of the time she goes over to the couch and goes to sleep. I'm like, "Okay." That's cool. But it's so weird. Anyways. <laughs> All right, Hallie, can you tell us about some dead people? Mike, am I going? I'm going. Okay. I was um, making sure that I had all of my images because Wikipedia is amazing and I did not grab the ones, all of the ones that I thought I had. So let's do this. I read this amazing book. Um, it was only published, I think, a couple of years ago. Uh, called Over My Dead Body, Unearthing the Hidden History of America's Cemeteries, and it is by Greg Melville. So we'll have a link to uh, to Bookshop, which I like because it's they ship to multiple places in the world and the money can go to your local indie bookstore. So we always oh, love cool. that. Yes. So there's the book. Uh, in case you're curious, it's a, it's a quick read. It is really interesting um so if y'all want to talk about death for a little bit here i love talking much about more death. involved than let's that. talk it's, about it's... death baby <laughs> <laughs> i personally like cemeteries i think they're really cool and they can be really pretty um, they can be, be yeah we'll talk about that actually um you know, there are, are tons of people buried under Central Park. The first national parks, like the first green, proper green spaces in a lot of the cities in America were graveyards. Yeah, so. actually lived next to Vancouver's biggest graveyard. It's Vancouver's only graveyard, but it is. Yeah, pretty much. Only <laughs> graveyard. It, yeah, okay. 
<laughs> Let's get you a snap of the Googles to show you uh-huh. how big this fucking thing is. I'm into it. Yeah. Um, um I will love this. So while you do that, um, yeah, I, I cemeteries are fascinating. My uh, grandparents lived not too far from the single cemetery in the town that I also grew up in. Um, and there were markers there that dated back to just after the Revolutionary War. Um, you know, so we're talking uh, 1700s. And it was interesting to go over there and kind of look at them. They were not well taken care of, but you could tell how old the cemetery was. They started at the front and they kept burying people <laughs> all the way back until they ran out of room. And we'll talk about cemeteries running out of room because that's happening <laughs> quite a bit, um, which is creepy and weird. So, uh, but also, oh, death I mean, industry's a thing. <laughs> The whole oh he calls it the death industrial complex. Ooh, um, in, this, in this book, yeah, and it, it's very evident um, uh, where a lot of that comes. Okay, wait. So this is the what's that. Okay, so uh, you see that like where the Mountain View Cemetery is, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, all of that green space. Um, you see our 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 house marker. Um, all of that green space immediately to the left, that giant fucking patch of it, and then that yeah. little notch just south of forty first. Mm-hmm. That's the whole fucking graveyard. Jesus Christ! So forty first to thirty uh, first, and then Fraser Street down like. Uh, I want to say industry. Yeah, it's got to be like one, two, three, four, five, six, probably like uh, three or four blocks. I was going to say. Yeah. Ah. It's it's massive. Yeah. Where we go to play wow. Pokemon Go. Sure. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would too. It's a really cool graveyard. So when you come up and visit, we'll take you for a walk. Oh, I would love that. Anyways, um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I it, the the stuff is all fascinating, and every you know every cemetery has its own set of stories, right? Because they're these plots of land where we bury people after they're <laughs> gone are also really kind of perfect encapsulations of history and they're often really important markers that tend to get um overlooked so i started this book kind of kicked off me being like i'm very curious about some of these things that he mentions in the book um you know all of the ways that we preserve we bury we entomb our our deceased but also how we just handle death and the culture around that and how different it can be. Um, so I thought from his uh, introduction, I would quote Greg Melville. You wrote a really great book, just so you know. Five <laughs> stars on Goodreads. There you go. Um, <laughs> so from the introduction, 
Graveyards across the country are the time capsules of our communities, recording and sometimes even shaping America's winding path forward. Every cemetery has a story. Yet these treasure troves of Americana are almost completely overlooked in the historical record. For whatever reason, journalists and historians generally whistle past the graveyards in their research. Maybe it's because burial grounds are so creepy and remind us of our mortality, or maybe it's because they're so omnipresent that they tend to be overlooked. A NASA scientist recently used satellite images to map 144,000 cemeteries in America, which is nearly 10 times the number of Starbucks in the country and eight times the number of McDonald's restaurants. Put all of America's wow. cemeteries together, and their square acreage would be larger than the state of Delaware. That's a lot of stories. It's a ton. That's a lot of fucking dead people buried under the ground. So, oh. <laughs> so I'll give you a um, a choice. I there were two. Um, I, I I could have you know basically just talked about all of the things that he talks about in the book, which then just go, you know, read the book, which you should anyways. So I picked two for opposing reasons. Um, I, uh, looking at some of the African-American burial sites in the South, in Southern America, or a place that is really amazing called the Chapel of Chimes. So which one do y'all want to start with first? Go with the Chapel of Chimes. Okay. Um, really wild, and I actually have um, some pictures of this. Um, the The obvious marker that a cemetery or a graveyard is, right? It's like, here be dead people. It's like planting a flag in the ground and being like, this is where we bury everybody. But it's also, you know, it's historical. There's... Um, there's a lot of history there, a lot of stories that you have, you know, families, towns, cities, and entire cultures and eras entombed below our feet. But, uh, in the book, he points out that quote, American graveyards have reached a critical phase in their existence. They're filling to capacity and we're running out of new real estate, especially in cities for the dead. So on top of that, um, because these older cemeteries are running out of room, they don't do new burials very often, which means they struggle to keep the funds incoming. Um, land is at a premium. It's very expensive. And culturally in the U.S., mines have only started to change about burial versus cremation in the last, I'm going to say, 70, 65 years. Um, before then, we were just kind of putting everybody under the ground. Um, and still, to this day, every year, almost 4 million gallons of embalming fluid are placed underground. Ugh. Yeah, yuck. There are also preservatives. terrible the way we do it. <laughs> it's yeah. awful. It's Horrible. awful. The caskets have preservatives in them. There's mercury in old dental fillings and pacemakers. And then also the bacteria and the viruses we leave behind that can stick around. It might um, fester in your like coffin that will not decay for a couple centuries. Yep. Yeah. It's, there's just, it is, it, and, and, you know, this is all to say, you know, burial and, and how death and, and what happens to a body afterwards, it's a very personal decision. You know, it's often left in the care of a loved one or someone trusted, to hopefully, to take care of that for you. 
Um, that all is to say, we'll we'll talk a little bit about about some of that here a little bit later. Personally, the thought of me being buried under the ground freaks me out so bad. <laughs> I that that makes me want to panic. Um, there's also a, a little bit of an interesting kind of sidebar off of this when he was talking about when Melville was talking about the bacteria and the viruses that we leave behind, which is that part of the reason the Black Plague spread so quickly was because they were burying infected bodies. Those viruses, the germs get into the groundwater and then people drink from the well. Mm, tasty, yep. tasty plague water. Mm, mm, plague water. Yay. <laughs> uh, so th that was another thing that I hadn't even considered that that would happen. And then as soon as I read it, I went, oh, that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that was a fact I could have stood to not know. <laughs> Um, so in, at least in the U S, um, uh, and I would assume probably in Canada as well, it, the, the two big ways of, of, um, taking care of a body after the person is gone is a burial or cremation. Mm -hmm. Those are usually the two. Yeah. Um, burial has an environmental impact. Cremation also leaves a mark on the environment. Um, there are a lot of people who are seeking, you know, super more eco-friendly ways of being handled after death. You have body farms, you have being turned into trees, and we'll talk about a thing called aquamation here towards the end, um, which is wild and gross. <laughs> it's both. Um, but like I said, in the U.S., it took till about the 1960s for cremation to become truly popular. And even then, at the start of that decade, only 3% of deaths became cremation. And religion played a very large role in this, particularly because the Vatican didn't remove its ban on cremations. That ban was over a century, or I'm sorry, a thousand years old by that point. Um, they didn't lift that ban until 1963, but you had to have a funeral inside a Catholic church in order to, for that to, I'm not Catholic, sorry, y'all, I'm deep i'm not trying to offend anybody i genuinely you're don't. not catholic no oh my god never would have guessed <laughs> ever no. um <laughs> i don't want to offend anybody who is a practicing catholic and is like yep that's what we do and i'm just like why um you know so culture was starting to shift as well you have these ideas around death and burial slowly morphing so what does this have to do with the chapel of chimes well it was built in um I put the wrong year down. There we go. Um, so uh, this was uh, this woman named Julia Morgan. Here's a picture of her from the Wikipedias. Of course, my file was like, you want to open that one? Why do you want to open that file? <laughs> you need it or something? <laughs> this lady was pretty cool. Um, so she was a powerhouse. Uh, she was born in 1872 in San Francisco, lived in that area her entire life, um, except when she became the first woman to be admitted to the architecture program at the Beaux-Arts de Paris and the first woman architect license in California. Nope. This is the woman who is responsible for many, many buildings, over 700 during the course of her career. Wow. Yep. Most famously, 
the 60,000 square foot Hearst Castle, a project that took over 28 years to build. Here is a picture of one of the pools at Hearst Castle. Damn. Yep. That's just one of them. Jesus. Just <laughs> one. We'll talk about Hearst Castle, too, um, in a different episode, because it really is interesting. Um, she, yeah, she was a total badass. And she was roughly a decade into the Hearst Castle project when uh, Julia was approached by a man named Lawrence Moore. He ran a crematory and what was then called a columbarium, which was a public storage structure for funerary urns. So, um around all of this time that this is happening you know we're exploring cremation more it's being seen um deployed more often at this time on the west coast and moore and morgan worked together to build what was eventually called the chapel of chimes and they renovated a former trolley station that then he bought and turned into a columbarium that then they turned into this place uh, I will show you this. There is a virtual tour. It is stunning. Um, she uh, took three years to put it together, and she drew inspiration from the Alhambra, the palace in southern Spain where Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand ruled. And it quickly became the most successful crematorium and columbarium in the country. This place is... And it's oh, Jesus. Yeah. So I recommend scrolling down. Um, there's plenty of pictures on their site. They run uh, multiple sites now under this name. Um, but about three quarters of the way down, there is a 3D virtual tour that you can take. And it is so cool. Like, if you were going to tell me you were going to put my urn in here, I would be like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Go oh, for wow. it. It's so yeah. pretty. It's beautiful. And this was done on purpose. All of these plants, um, all of the rooms of the chapel are filled with light. There are multiple windows and skylights that illuminate the glass cases and niches that hold urns. You have traditional style urns like you might expect. Um, a lot of them look like books with the spines inscribed with the name and birth and death dates of the individual. That's a cool um, idea. They're in. It's very cool. Uh, he, uh, Greg Melville in his book describes it as like one of the most beautiful places full of death he's ever been because it's, you just, you can stand there. It's like you're browsing people. Like there's something <laughs> kind of, it's a little creepy. And at the same time, like this place is really beautiful. It's a people there's library. Whole, there's nothing. It's a people about library. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's whole. I mean, so many plants and like airy spaces. But it is one essentially one big building where all of the spaces kind of interlock. Um, there's no no corridors in the chapel, so everything, um, the way that it locks together, gives this like never ending illusion. Or as the author put it, the deeper you go inside, the more it becomes like a labyrinth of the no longer living, a corn maze of the ever after, which made me <laughs> corn maze. I know. I was like, mm, did you live in the Midwest at some point? Because, um, you know, uh, it, it was all designed very purposefully by Julia Morgan with all of the plants and the palms. You have polished granite benches. Uh, and interestingly enough, one of the things that um, she took into account 
because religion was just starting to kind of loosen the reins on saying, don't cremate, you can't, you know, desiccate your body. And I'm like, yeah, but you're putting them in the ground. Okay, sure, whatever. Um, she did, there was a, there's an actual chapel on site. Um, they have illuminated manuscripts of different Bibles dating back to the 16th century on display, as well as a page from an original Gutenberg Bible that was print, printed in 1453. Um, so there are touches of religion here, but it's not, it's meant to be welcoming to everyone, which I think is also very cool. Um, mm. I love these shots of the way the corridors go. They really does look like it just doesn't end. It's really beautiful. So, um, yeah, so you can, you can look at the 3d 60 tour available on the website. Um, Everything is really accessible. It's very neat and orderly. Um, but the biggest part of this is that the beauty in this building that she created actually was the linchpin in changing people's minds on the culture of death and funerary services in the U.S. Uh, the chapel's beauty encouraged people to explore cremation as a viable option after death. And today, 58% of people in the U.S. are cremated, and that number is growing. Um, I was like, that is just in the span of someone's lifetime, starting with what this woman did to make cremation not seem like, oh, they put you in a giant oven. Um, <laughs> really did. She she changed people's minds. I just thought that was so cool that this woman who was like a badass architect and, you know, had to deal with so much shit over the course of her career. She had a bunch of kids like she was doing everything and still manage to make these beautiful spaces where people can go and, you know, and have good memories of the person that they're missing. I really was impressed um, with that. So I was also like, okay, so burial creeps me out. Um, <laughs> what do I do with <laughs> myself after this burial? No, you have, um, you know, the environmental ramifications, the thought of um, slowly decomposing underground feels kind of strange. Burials are so still often tied to religion. Uh, so as an atheist, that doesn't really work for me. Um, I've heard too many horror stories about what happens if you donate your body. <laughs> that you might wind up on a military test base and get blown apart. Oh, that's no fun. Nah, I, yeah. If, if, if the ideal for me, like being donated like if you're gonna donate my body like give it to the med school kids who need to you know what i mean they're gonna go be doctors yeah. and heal people like go do that i'm fine with that i don't yeah, i don't want my body going to any sort of military bullshit or right right because it's the military and also ugh. um it, it, the cases of abuse are just the chance of that is way too high however um i'm sure y'all have probably heard of this there are things like living urns that you could do um i was like yes fuck yes turn me into a tree let's do it <laughs> i'm fine with that be a tree it kind of i don't know maybe if you're if you're gonna cremate your body i guess this is how i rationalize it um if you're trying to negate the impact on the environment through cremation maybe you can help filter the air by being a tree i don't know um, so I got curious. I was like, I know there's other stuff. So there are other things. There are ice urns. 
Ice urns. I haven't heard of ice that. urns. I'm going to show you pictures. There are echo scattering urns made from bamboo. There's terramation, which is essentially human composting. And there's aquamation. So I apologize for this because aquamation is amazing and also real gross. Um, it's essentially liquid cremation. So instead of using fire, um, it's, it's known as alkaline hydrolysis. And it was originally patented in 1888. And the water spins at such a high speed, it, it breaks you down. Oh, that's interesting. And I was like, what? <laughs> something i've choose for myself but it's interesting <laughs> that is cool as shit so here's the um what do they do with the slurry afterwards this well then <laughs> the slurry just breaks down in the water there's alcohol yeah, you gotta dump it out somewhere all, but... right yeah and then whatever is left gets put in an urn ah, okay yeah 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 so there's there's aquamation this is the the aquamation thing it's actually in the u.s it's only legal in 21 states so mm. there's that part of it too um but it's like it's like the you know modern uh, this is like how people used to think about cremation except you're just you know just getting busted down into bits my only Fine. like issue with this is like the use of water when we already have like issues with water right Right. There's like no really good way to do this. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's all uh it, it all has an impact unfortunately. So well, here's you heard the... the Oh sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. Um there's there's these parks that have been started to come up in the states. Um basically it's a cemetery slash park where you get buried and the plants and stuff are planted on top of you you basically feed this park and that all are native species as a reservation a preserve heck yeah yeah so that, me, that that's that's that. a big one i love but they're very there's very few of them so far give me that i yeah. i was like okay so yeah there's an ice urn there's there's all kinds of stuff that you can do i was like what um there's these memory forests that you can look they're kind of the same thing um mm. People choose to plant their urns together so that it is kind of a, a graveyard of these urns, but it's all trees. And I was like, that's fine. I'm fine yeah. with that. Put me in the ground, turn me into a tree. It's <laughs> turn me into a tree. Fine with that. Yeah, and it's just like the thing is those become permanent green green spaces essentially, because you have to go yeah. through a lot to dig up a body. <laughs> it is back circled back around to how cemeteries started, which were the first green spaces. It was like, yes, that I'm my sense of karmic justice understands that. <laughs> so with this ice thing, I'm looking at this here, like I'm yes. trying to figure out what happens exactly. You melt. You get turned into ice somehow? So they put your ashes in a block of ice. Oh, and so you're still doing you... cremation. You're still doing cremation, but yeah. instead of, um, it's a way I, to me, it's like, to me, it feels reminiscent of like a Viking funeral, right? Yeah. Except yeah. instead of fire, you're just like, okay, send, send grandma out there, you know, like <laughs> on the ice. Go explore the ocean. Go be part of the world. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I was just like, okay. That's 
That's fine. The um, I do like that some of these companies, you know, they're using sustainable bamboo. They're trying to get away from the preservatives and the products and the the materials that they're using. Um, it nothing is perfect, but there are strides being made. So mm-hmm. they're trying. But this Chapel of Chimes is really beautiful. <laughs> I don't okay. know if you talked about some of the like uh, similar concepts in Japan. Are these like, it's, yeah, it's an internal graveyard of uh, people's ashes, and they're like put in these tiny, like little cubes that it's like all oh, lit up. It's all these glass. It's really cool. Um, oh, that's cool. Let me see if I can find it. That's really neat. The Japan's been dealing with, you know, the overpopulation problem for oh, a lot longer wow. than we have. They've come up with some pretty cool solutions. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, they're just these beautiful, like, all the glass and the light, and it's just so pretty. Dang. Oh, I like that. Really good. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I would love to see more things like that in the U.S. Definitely. So just, we're just so still stuck. I mean, granted, what was it, 58% of people are cremated, but then they're still burying in the ground! Which blows like, my mind. And ground's not cheap. <laughs> like, no! Cremation's not cheap either, but then... No, and the funerary services are just so ridiculous. Oh, it's, yeah. As far as the expense, the average average funeral costs like nine thousand dollars. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's a, know. it's a, it's not a very moral industry for the most part. Obviously, there's people working no. to change it, but yeah, no. it's a lot of problems. Uh, well, speaking of morality um okay let's talk (laughs) about the one that starts off as a bummer and gets better um which are the uh african-american burial sites particularly in the south so of course we're going to be talking about slave burial sites um now again i anyone listening to this you know we're not we're not academics we're not this isn't you know i'm not i am definitely not uh, trying to get anything wrong. If I say anything incorrect in here and you're like, nope, that's wrong, just shoot us an email or something because I obviously, it's really important that these burial sites, I didn't even get into the indigenous ones. Um, and there was a whole big section that I'll, I'll do in the future on those, um, these sacred burial places that were just utterly demolished mm. um, because white people. So, those white people. Because white people, I feel like that's basically it. Um, so in the case of these burial sites, it it really is impossible, you know, through any lens on history, other than clearly a blindly bigoted one, to ignore um, what's being uncovered now by uh, those looking to restore black enslaved burial grounds in the American South. There are a ton of them. I am only going to talk about a handful of them. Um, so from, uh, Melville's book that we are using as one of our sources, uh, he said, quote, slavery left 6 million people of African descent dead and buried on American soil before the end of the civil war. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that figure was recently compiled by J. David Hacker, a demographic historian at the university of Minnesota. He relied heavily upon old census records, which were surprisingly well-kept, especially after the Three-Fifths Compromise of 1787. I don't assume that y'all are familiar with that. No. Uh, um, yeah, I it am. Is, 
Okay. Yeah, Nathan probably is from what he's been listening to. Yeah. Nathan's probably making a stink face right now if he knows what it is. Because yeah, it's really it's, bad. it's fucking yeah. terrible. Um, yeah. In short, it's established that each enslaved black person counted as three fifths of a person. Hmm. That's literally, which means you can't vote. You can't, you have no rights whatsoever. You had enough uh, personage, we'll say, to be counted in a census. But a lot of slave owners early on, obviously, um, were fine counting the slaves who were alive on the census, not the ones who had perished. Um, But I was thinking that, like, when something's property, you're going to keep better records of it. So it sucks. Yep. (laughs) Yep. That's you got it in one. Exactly. Um, so this researcher in total calculated that the enslaved population in the country personally performed a staggering 410 billion hours of forced labor. Wow. So That's I'm going to go intense. throw up for a minute and then, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I had to, I read that and I had to put the book down for a second. I was like, fucking hell. All right. Every time that, you know, we have all of these tools now and we can we can look at things that have been archived, we can go back and it's like every time a number like that pops up and I'm just like, I hate this place so much. <gasps> but it's good that it's coming out now and that exactly. people are actually listening to it. Yes. Mm. yes. It's been buried for so fucking long. Exactly. Um, And there are a lot of these graveyards, these slave graveyards that are being uncovered, um, and they're telling stories that so many people wish never existed. Uh, There was Mm -hmm. just, I want to say last week, a review on a plantation in the South. I don't remember what state it was in. It was one of them down there that these people were mad that the tour guide had to remind them about slavery. (laughs) And I was like, just stay for after class then if that's your problem fuck do you think you are yeah what the hell really i don't okay i know i know it broke my brain a little bit to be honest i was just like you weren't hearing about the bad stuff yeah well basically that's what she was saying it was like we were just here to see the house we didn't want to be reminded of all this i'm like i think you are exactly the person that needs to be reminded of that stupid Oh, the glorifying the freaking confederate days yep yep mm-hmm. um so several plantations in the american south did keep these records of slaves that they had on uh, on the grounds but surprisingly didn't keep records of their deaths so there's a movement among researchers and activists to locate and unearth these burial sites there have been archaeological efforts at the estates of george washington and james madison presidents Our researchers have combed records and overgrown fields, private and state land, in order to help locate these lost graves. So one example of a like a a fairly large reclamation effort is the Avocas Enslaved Person Cemetery in Alta Vista, Virginia. It was rediscovered in 2005. Um, The grounds already had a museum there. And at the time, the director of the museum was actually informed by a descendant of the former owner whose name was this is so fucking stupid um whose name was Colonel Charles Lynch because of course it was um so uh this uh 
director of the museum gets told by a descendant of the former owner of the house that there could be a burial ground nearby. And so they start digging. And they found out that they were 32 burials, and 30 of them turned out to be adult-sized. Uh, two of the graves were a little bit smaller. So, of course, it was probably children. Um, and as they start turning up these overgrown, you know, half, like, fallen into the ground markers, um, and they're looking for any, any grave sites, markers, anything of that, researchers then uh, brought someone out who was able to use a geolocation radar tool that was able to detect the depth of the compromised soil, meaning that the graves didn't have to be dug up. They were just able to essentially x-ray the ground and be like, yep, there's one, there's one there, and then they could mark them properly. That's amazing. Which is so cool. It's so cool. Uh, I lost my spot. Here we go. Um, they also followed other clues like irregularly shaped rocks. Uh, I will show you an example of one of these because I think this is really interesting. Uh, where did that go? Here is a grave marker example. They could tell that it had been carved by hand um, and was indicating something. So they would run the geolocation tool over any spot that had markers like that. Um, and what is interesting about these markers, and there was a whole other like rabbit trail I could have gone down with these because it is really fascinating. Um, there was a trend that's been seen now across a lot of slave burial grounds in several states. So you're talking hundreds and hundreds of miles apart where these graves are marked by stones that at first glance look like they could be naturally shaped. And the understanding now is that these rocks were used to keep the graves safe from the plantation owners. I was going to say, I was wondering if that was made by another slave. Yeah, yeah, it would have been. That's... They were fear. They worried that their dead could have been unearthed and used to force them to do things. So. Because people are cool. Yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah. Yep. It was. Yeah, but I mean, they 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 have turned these markers up in so many places. So word got around. That which is pretty cool, this. right? Yeah, I was like, that it, is amazing. Everything that you're facing, you know, you still manage to try and keep some of it, and despite right. everything against you, I think that's impressive. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, some of the other markers that they found were actually carved in the shape of a human eye, kind of like you know, an oval with points on the end. And according to local African-American families who live there now, growing up, they were told that the purpose of this rock shape was to symbolize that the eyes of the dead watch over the living. Um, these were, uh, these eye stones marked adult graves and then children's graves were often affixed with something more precious to the family, like pink quartz, which is all over the place in the South. Uh, so they, they started to see this pattern, again, not just across one set of burial grounds or across one part of the country. It was seen across wide swaths of these burial grounds in the American South from this time period, antebellum, so pre-Civil War, all the way up um, through uh, post-Civil War. It's amazing. That's, that's oh. so cool. It is extremely cool. 
Well, and and you know the people who are in charge of these places, they're not they're not doing the white people thing where they're picking up the marker and going, oh, let's put this in a museum. They're restoring the grounds and making sure that the grounds are protected so that the people who are laying at rest there get proper, um, get, you know, ancestors can come and find them. Uh, everything's being documented and archived. Uh, there's a, a woman named Dr. Lynn Rainville. She's an anthropological archaeologist, and she's helped map over three dozens of these African-American graveyards in Virginia alone. And the place that we were talking about, Avaca, um, Avaca's Enslaved Person Cemetery, she also went down there and started to help um, the other researchers decode those rock shapes and kind of figure out what they meant. And um, she also had noted that, uh, quote, only about 5% of graves have been inscribed, and very often there are symbols or initials almost like a form of code. Literacy for slaves was illegal in the antebellum or pre-war South, but uh, our Dr. Rainville believes that these codes were a, quote, cultural adaptation to the institution of slavery and a deliberate choice by the enslaved individuals. So they, they did. They came up with their own ways of marking these stones. I, I think that is just amazing. Really? It's really neat. I like it. It's so refreshing to hear this stuff is actually just getting restored instead of just like mm-hmm. the way. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, the it was interesting too, because kind of the transition in Greg Melville's book from the slave burial grounds to uh, African-American and black resting places. Now um, you can see the the history there and the rampant racism because it's not just the slave cemeteries that are, are undergoing these vital reconstructions. Um, there is a place called Greenwood Cemetery uh, that was organized in 1847. I will show you all this so you can see it. I think this is really cool, what they're doing. Um, you can see the whole history there on their site. Um, so, yeah, it was organized in 1847 to serve the needs of the growing back black population of post-Civil War St. Louis and St. Louis County. And there are more than 50,000 African-Americans buried there. Wow. Um, yes. Yeah, it, it went through wild times. Um, you have, you know, notable people who were buried there, average people who were buried there. Um, you have people like Lucy Delaney, who wrote the famed 1890s slave narrative from the darkness cometh the light. Uh, Harriet Scott, who, along with her husband, Dred Scott, sued for their freedom in the historic Supreme Court case. Dred Scott v. Sanford. Uh, they're both buried there. It, it just all this history. So Greenwood um, was well maintained by members of the founding family all the way from 1847 up through the late 1970s before it was sold and then all of this neglect set in. Um, the fields were overgrown. Vandals would come in and topple headstones and deface monuments. And the worst of all, in my opinion, the cemetery became a dumping ground for household trash. Oh, it's really yeah, it was really bad. I saw some of the pictures and I was like, oh, my God. So in 1999, the Greenwood Cemetery Preservation Association was formed and they have cleared out roughly half of the cemetery and recorded at least 35,000 of the 55,000 people buried on the grounds. 
they've digitized all the records and they've created a database that is searchable for people looking for ancestors. Um, but it's just like one example of the deep neglect that continues for black cemeteries, but the movement to preserve these places has also really, really grown. And there is a killer, I think it was NBC News. Yeah, here we go. This article was amazing to read this. And it's actually a long form article. It's not just some puff piece to make people like, oh, yay, you know, black people are getting their cemeteries back. It's not one of those. It really looks at the work that these folks have put into to um, reclaim these resting places. So you can see some of the pictures in the article, like how overgrown it got and how beautiful it is today. It's really cool what they did. It's so cool. Yeah. So, um, oh, I scrolled too far. There we go. So last for me would be just talking a little bit about how, you know, these black cemeteries have been left unprotected for almost two centuries. And you have all of these people putting in the work. Um, but there was this great quote from Cami Fletcher, who's the author of Real Business, Maryland's First Black Cemetery Journeys into the Enterprise of Death. 1807 to 1920. She's also an associate professor of history at Albright College. Um, she's been working with these groups to try to uh, archive and just note and then archive and then digitize records of people who are buried in these places that have gone under severe neglect. And she says, when you look at land ownership in this country, it is absolutely at the intersection of patriarchy, whiteness, racism, and Jim Crow, really nefarious ways in which those developers ended up getting land. Um, black Jim Crow allowed black cemeteries to go unkempt, and city dollars flowed to white cemeteries. There's a lot more to be said about how whites were just allowed to dislocate black folks and trample all over black cemeteries. And thankfully, there are people around who are trying to um, save them, so... Just wanted to note that because these folks are doing really good work and they should be given all the money and all the tools to do it. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that happening to white people. It just wouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There'd be fucking riots. And, yeah, exactly. And as I was looking into some of the indigenous burial grounds, it's the same. It's the same or very similar story about how they were just mowed over and taken um and now they're being reclaimed so so yeah just some some cemetery stuff some some death stuff stuff about <laughs> ice urns a <laughs> little bit you know, of everything a little bit of everything i swear to god i will pick a cheerier topic next time maybe we'll talk about truffles <laughs> thinking that might be a good one because that's that's like a weird mafia story it's super bizarre I don't know. Have you seen the uh, YouTuber um, Ask a Mortician? I am very familiar with that. Yeah, I was just going to recommend, like, if people are interested in learning more about this stuff, she does an amazing series. Oh, and especially oh, yes. about, yeah. especially about, because she runs, obviously, um, a funeral home, and she is very passionate about environment and stuff. So she talks a lot about the history and all the up-and-coming new ways that people are being able to handle death and like she offers or her crematoriums in california i believe and she offers a natural burial solution with like a compostable like um often kind of thing and yeah oh, i love that yeah so 
definitely worth checking out if you guys are interested in this. And obviously the book that Hallie mentioned sounds like it's super insightful. Yeah, it was really good. I read it in a weekend. I was like, this is this is so, so interesting. So, yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Uh-huh. I don't know why I say that. <laughs> <laughs> hey. That's all for this week. Next week we're back, and I'm going to talk about the infamous murder bird of Australia and New Guinea, the cassowary. As always, links, pictures, and additional information can be found on our website at thehumanexception.com. To keep up with all things exceptional, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Human Exception. Have a story you want us to cover? Want to tell us that we're wrong? You just want to say hi? You can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com. And to get in on the fun, come join us on our Discord server. Link can be found on our contact page. Keep on being exceptional, my humans, and have a wonderful weekend. Mm-hmm.